It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Well, who is that old man sitting out there on that rock taking notes? Who is that old man that has a great big ledger under his arm? Why, that old man is Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How you doing today? Oh, not bad. It's nice to have you back live and in living color. Well, it's good to be back, and especially to be alive. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> I don't know about the color, but uh, okay. I'm a, I am alive. Oh my! Did you have a good week last week? We had a, we actually had a good time last week. I got to tell you real quick. We were in Park City, and for our listeners that have not been to Park City for a while, they have a fairly new seven million dollar museum right there on Main Street. Oh, really? And it's, uh, they do charge you, I think, eight bucks or something to go in, but they, it's uh, really a, a really a nice interactive museum where you push buttons and listen to stories, and they have a uh, kind of a mock-up of, of what a mine looked like. Ooh. Yeah, kind of a cutaway view, about 30 feet tall. That, uh-huh. uh, so anyway, anybody that goes to Park City... Uh, stop into that museum. It's it's well worth the, the money and the time to, to go in. Now, is it a, a museum primarily regarding mining? Not necessarily. I mean, it's it, well, mostly because Park City was kind of developed around the mining industry. Mm-hmm. So okay. there is a lot about that, but uh, but there's other things too. They they have actually the jail uh, where they uh, had guys that were held in prison, and you can actually go down and go into the, some of the cells uh-huh. that they had there. So it, it's pretty cool. I'll bet it so, was. Well, now so, does that lead us into a clue as to what you're going to talk about? Well, one more quick plug. I, I told the people at the museum I plugged something for them. In, on November 7th and 9th, up there, they're having the Navajo Annual Rug Show and Sale. Ooh. So, anybody that's interested in the Navajo Indian culture, yeah. one thing or another, November 7th and 9th, they're up there at Park City. So. Remind me of that as we draw closer, because my wife would love to go to that. Yeah, I, I think it would be great, because these <clears throat> people come up from Arizona, I guess, and 
bring all their stuff with them. Yeah, so, and, you, and you can sit yeah, out in right. front of the Turner Wigwam and hold a blanket over your shoulders. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so today, uh, I'm going to talk about two ladies. Uh, one, uh, his name is Lola Montez. The other one, his name is Lotta Crabtree. Lola and Lotta. Lotta. Uh-huh. Crabtree. I see. So I'm going to start with Lola, and I'll show you how their lives kind of became intertwined. Why so, do I feel that this is going to be very interesting? <laughs> this is a family show, Zeb, and it will continue to be so. <laughs> So here we go, all right? In the 1850s, you know, gold rush prospectors, they filled the theaters across the Old West to watch this entertainer, Lola Montez, perform a dance that she called the Spider Dance. Now, the reason it was called that is because Lola dressed in a colorful uh, skirt and outfit and one thing or another, and then she had thousands of black corks, which represented spiders, that would dangle above her in the center of the stage. Well, when the music began, Lola would twirl around and wind herself up in these low-hanging props. Well, she danced about trying to free herself from this man-made, from the man-made insects, and anyway, this spectacular display brought the audiences to their feet, cheering and begging for more, and that's kind of where she uh, uh, kind of had her trademark, was, was that spider dance. Uh-huh. Although she presented herself to be of Latin descent, Lola was, in fact, from Ireland. She was born in 1818 and given the name, okay, now remember this, Maria Dolores Eliza Rosanna Gilbert. I'll keep it on the tip of my tongue. Okay. She grew up to be a captivating beauty with dark curly hair, black eyes, uh, very attractive. And when she was still very young, Maria's parents arranged a marriage between their daughter and a 60-year-old judge. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, that didn't settle too good. Uh, And so, rather than settle down with a man so many years older than she was, Lola ran away from home and vowed to see the world. Well, not long after leaving her parents, she met and married a lieutenant in the British Army. Well, that didn't work out. He left her for another woman, so Lola traveled to Madrid and began studying dance. Now, her debut as a professional dancer was in London in 1847, She was billed as the premier Spanish ballerina. Now, in order to make the act seem more authentic, she changed her name to Lola Montez. Uh So from now on, that's how we'll name her, Lola Montez. Whatever Lola wants, Lola gets. She does. And she actually adapted a uh, Spanish accent and claimed to be a Spaniard. See. Well, the audiences, they adored her. She toured Europe and performing uh, at all its royal courts. And she collected a few admirers along the way, one of which was Ludwig I, the king of Bavaria. (laughs) Well, by the time Lola Montez arrived in America, her reputation as a dancer had preceded her. Uh, Theaters in New York, Boston, Philadelphia, and San Francisco were packed with curious citizens citizens hoping to get a glimpse of of the entertainer. How would you like to have the name Ludwig? (laughs) Ludwig I. Yeah. Well, he was a king, so that couldn't have been too bad. Okay. You know? So anyway, uh, you know, lured with the idea of becoming rich, Lola arrived in California in 1851. Of course, this is after the gold uh, uh, strikes had been found, and one thing or another. So she heard that miners readily tossed gold at the feet of performers and believed her scene and dancing act would separate the entertainment-starved men from their substantial portion of gold. Which was true. Well, 
while performing in California, California gold country, she met and married the owner of a newspaper, and her second marriage didn't fare any better than the first, however, and, and they divorced. Well, an editor of a Grass Valley, California newspaper criticized Lola for her failed marriages and what he called an overall lack of morals. That was his description. And she was deeply offended by his comments, and she set out to confront this guy. Well, she found him, and she threatened to beat him with a whip unless he apologized. And uh, it doesn't say that, but I have a feeling that he probably apologized. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just, just guessing Lola's uh, perhaps persuasiveness. Right. So, anyway, Lola Montez left California and the United States in 1855, and from America she took her spider dance to Australia. Now, authorities there, however, banned the routine, calling it immoral. Oh, my. So, with this costly failure of the Australian tour, Lola returned to America to hopefully recoup her losses. Well, it was not to be, however. Uh, Lola's time had kind of come and gone. She retired from the stage in 1858. Well, in 1859, she once again returned to New York, changed her name to Mrs. Fanny Gibbons and began earning her living giving how-to-keep-your-beauty lectures. <laughs> uh, and, well, a, le- a year later, she suffered a stroke and was left unable to speak. Uh, news of her identity and her bad, bad condition hit the newspapers, and the stories brought an old acquaintance to see her. And Mrs. Isaac Buckman promised to take care of her and moved her into the, Buchan- the, the Buckman home. And Lola deeded all of her possessions to the woman she thought was a benevolent friend. Oh, my. So you can guess what happened. A few days after surrendering her worldly effects to this woman, uh, and this woman actually took her and put her into a what they call a tenement bedroom area oh. called Hell's Kitchen. Oh, my. So Lola Montez died there in January 1861 at the young age of 42 and she left this world unrecognized and alone. Oh. So, but I, I'm going to uh, tie this next entertainer in with, with her. Okay, another spider dance. Yes, this is Lotta, Lotta Crabtree. Uh-huh. Okay, now picture this. A little red-headed girl dressed as a leprechaun, she marched past a group of muddy miners into the center of their rusty camp. Her mother helped her onto a stump, and while a banjo player strummed, uh, a tune for the child uh, who soon began dancing the Irish jig. Well, the delighted 49ers clapped and cheered the little girl on, and she laughed at their enthusiasm. Well, after she finished entertaining the men, they tossed gold nuggets and coins at her feet. Mm-hmm. Well, she beamed with pride at the applause, and her mother collected her earnings. So, one of the youngest entertainers to travel through the Sierra Mountains in the 1800s, Lotta Crabtree, had diverse talents and just I must have had a great laugh that made her just really, really popular and, and well-liked. And she was really a star in gold country at that time. I see. And as you can guess, her mother kind of saw the writing on the wall. And uh, so Lotta was the primary breadwinner for her family. Mm-hmm. So Lotta was actually born in New York in 1847 and given the name Charlotte Crabtree. I see. Well, her father John moved his daughter and wife, Marianne West, in 1852, and he was an unsuccessful business owner turned prospector and really never found any gold. Well, Lotta's mother was a strong woman. She quickly assumed responsibility for her only child's well-being, and so Marianne worked odd jobs to support Lotta and paid for the child's training in theater and dance, and she recognized the talent her daughter had and saw the opportunity to develop it at their temporary home in San Francisco. I see. 
Now, theatrical shows were very popular in San Francisco. Now, keep in mind, you know, that was kind of a big place to go. You know, all the, the miners would head there, the ships that were going in and out. So it was it was a up-and-coming city at the time. Mm-hmm. So these playhouses were always filled with bored miners looking to be amused. And as the need for entertainment grew, more performers came to town. Variety shows sprung up overnight and featured acrobats, singers, comedians. And child actors were held in really particularly high regard. And think about this, Zeb. It reminded the miners of their own sons and daughters that they had left back back in the East or the Midwest and they hadn't seen him for months or months, and, you know, they were out searching for gold. So when they saw a child actor, it kind of brought a tear to their eye, so to speak. Their own personal Shirley Temple. Exactly. She really was the Shirley Temple of her time. Yeah. Well, the Crabtrees moved to the mining community of Grass Valley, California in 1853. Uh, Marianne reasoned that Lotta would be able to earn a substantial amount entertaining the lonely miners who were working claims around the rich foothills. And Marianne enrolled Lotta in the only dance school in Grass Valley. The classes were conducted in the annex of a tavern, and many of the prospectors who stopped in the saloon for a drink gathered around to watch Lotta twirl around across the tiny stage. And like I say, tears would well up in their eyes as they thought of their own children. And they would shower this little child with chunks of gold and gifts of appreciation. So anyway, Lotta's natural talent and beauty attracted not only the attention of the miners, but of the notorious Lola Montez. Oh, no. So this is where they come together. I see. Now, Lola, she thought the child had great potential, and Lola lived a few doors down from the Crabtree's home. And the plot thickens. It does. And so she spent many hours teaching Lotta some of her dance steps and how to ride a horse. She, She absolutely adored Lotta and let her play in her costumes and dance to her German music box. And at this point, she pleaded with Marianne to let her take the child to Australia with her to tour the country. Well, the mother, Marianne, she refused, which is probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was, however, encouraged by Lola's interest in Lada. So she enrolled Lada in more dance classes and added singing classes to her studies. And uh, by the age of 10, okay, she's only 10 years old. Oh, my. At this point. So she must have started when she was only six or seven. Uh-huh. So. But by the age of 10, Lotta was one of the most talented children in the gold country. She had a wonderful voice, uh, possessed a great sense of comic timing, and was master of such dances as the Fandango and the Highland Fling. So, again, you kind of hit it on the head. She was kind of the Shirley Temple of of her day in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Now, in an effort to capitalize on her daughter's abilities, Mary Ann decided to join forces with a gentleman who managed traveling players. Well, the two put together their own company of musicians and actors and set off to tour the mining camps with their pint-sized gold mine, so to speak. Lotta was well-received wherever the troop went, and she earned, now get this, $13 a night. Now, that may not sound like much, but $13 a night dancing and singing when a miner might be only making, what, maybe 2 or $3 or $4 a day. Yeah. So, anyway, after a few months and hundreds of dollars later, Marianne was convinced that Lotta's act could earn more money in big city theaters. So she then moved her, back, her daughter back to San Francisco from Grass Valley, and Lotta performed at a variety of halls and amusement parks and soon became known as the San Francisco favorite. And now at this time she was 12 years old, and 
she was basically the sole support of her family, which now included two younger brothers. Oh, boy. Well, Lotta Crabtree was a popular star and in constant demand, but by 1863, she was earning more than $42,000 a year. So transferred into day's terms, that had to be at least, you know, 400000 I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Uh, at yeah. least. But anyway, Mary Ann, the mother, was a smart businesswoman, and she invested her daughter's money in real estate. She walked the streets of the towns of San Francisco, a uh, lot of performed in, and she bought up vacant lots that she would thought would be highly sought up after the town grew. Well, Lotta had no head for finances and continued uh, on her, uh, counted on her mother to pay her bills and support her act. Well, in 1871, Lotta decided to break from performing and travel to Europe. Well, she returned to America and the theater in 1875 and, and continued to portray children and younger parts, so she must have been a very, uh, very youthful-looking person, even as she got older. Kind of like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very, very young-looking. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, she was making people laugh, and she considered, was, is considered by most historians as one of the uh, theater's first comedians. So, Lotta returned to San Francisco to perform, and she retired from the city, theater at the golden, ripe old age of 45, and at that point, she moved to Boston, and the remaining years of her life were spent painting and actually giving her money away. Oh, my. She died in 1924 at the age of 77. Huh. She left her estate estimated at $4 million. Oh, my. Okay, now, 1924, $4 million, I'm going to guess $40 million now? Oh, my goodness. Maybe. But she left her money, this $4 million, to veterans, animals, students of music and agriculture, needy children, and needy actors. And she was buried next to her mother in New York City, 1924. Holy cow. I know a needy actor that could use some. Yeah. Me. (laughs) So those two entertainers that kind of had a big influence on the miners and San Francisco and... uh, you know, again, these miners, they were hungry for entertainment, and uh, and uh, Lada, I think, was uh, possibly the more, uh, how should we say it, uh, honest, up-and-coming type entertainer. I see. <laughs> Handled that well, you did. <laughs> <laughs> because there was a lot of people that followed the miners, as you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like Smith up in Alaska. The mining industry, you know, it was kind of short-lived, kind of like, uh, you know, the cowboy, the American cowboy. His life uh, and fame was over a short period of time, kind of like the mountain man before him. And the mining industry and all those characters, they also had kind of a short span in history, didn't they? They, they did, and uh, you know, I've mentioned before. Uh, when you think of all the men that went into the Klondike up in Alaska, yep. there was maybe only 3 or 4% of those guys that actually made uh, enough money to come home and live very well. Yeah. And I think it was, could be said of down here in the, in the States, in Montana and California and Colorado, you know, very, very few of those guys ever really made enough to retire uh, in good fashion. And most of them would just keep hunting and hunting until basically until they died yeah and i kept telling a lot of them i said go to school and learn how to be a chiropractor just like dr turner that's right (laughs) 
there's a golden nose hill. <laughs> so anyway, it's. Uh, I just finished an interesting book as well about the Kellogg mine disaster. Right, right. Uh, pretty interesting book. When you talk about mining, uh, of course, that was for silver and, and some gold and some other things up there in Kellogg, Idaho. Mm-hmm. But uh, the story of those 91 men that died in the Kellogg mine disaster is a pretty fascinating book. Um, I don't recall the, the name of the book right now, but uh, uh, I found that quite interesting. Um, uh, even in, I think that was in the 70s when that happened, uh, that even then the mining industry was pretty dangerous. Well, yeah, but I mean, they had no OSHA. They had no uh, uh, modern ways of uh, anticipating where there might be a crack or there might be weakness here, there, or everywhere. Man, I'm surprised there weren't more injuries and deaths. Right, and uh, they did have a breathing apparatus, but it was poorly designed, and it was uh, most of the men had never even put one on, so the training to use that breathing apparatus was really not very well done mm. and uh, basically most most all the men that died in that disaster was from breathing poison toxic fumes oh my goodness well if so anybody knows what the mining industry was you know back in the 1800s if they went down into some of these shafts and yeah. tunnels and you know, poor air, uh, fires, uh, who knows? Oh, my goodness. Well, you, I will not ever say that I'm brave enough to be a miner because I'm claustrophobic and I could not do that. Well, those guys, uh, like I say, they're in the dark. Uh, when they go to work, they're in the black, dark pitchness of, of, of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, thousands of feet below the below the ground. Into the bowels of the yeah. earth. <laughs> yes. And, yeah, hot and <laughs> steaming. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you did it again. Very interesting story about two unique personalities in the Old West. I appreciate that. And yeah, they, uh, uh, you know, that was part of the Old West. That was part of the mining industry and part of the entertainment industry. And yeah. Uh, so I, I thought both those were kind of two. I guess you might say somewhat opposite ends of the spectrum. Absolutely. By the way, uh, last week we played a show that had been put on before, Dr. History. And for those that would like to listen to a lot of episodes, all you have to do is go to dr-history.com. Tell us more, dear friend. We are now over 20,000 hits. Oh, my! In 25 different countries. Oh, and we've actually had over 20,000 hits on our website, so uh, we appreciate that, and we hope people will tell their friends and family to go to dr-history.com and tell their friends, and hopefully we'll get more and more listeners. 20,000 hits? Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. impressed. I don't know where these people in Japan and China and Brazil are finding us, but somehow they're finding us. Aso. <laughs> hey, Dr. History, i got to run. God bless you. Great job. Super job today, and we'll look forward to next Tuesday. All right. We'll see you later, Zach. All right. All take right. care. Remember, go to dr-history.com, and we're at 20,000 hits. We're going to make it 40,000 hits, okay? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.